Welcome to the future of email. I'm Dr. Matthew Dunn, founder and CEO of Campaign Genius. We help email platforms grow by giving their customers the power of real-time visual media in their email marketing. We believe that email is the critical civil media channel today for business and commerce. This podcast features the leading innovators in email marketing. Stick around to the end. I'll reveal how you can be our next guest on the Cutting Edge podcast on the future of email. Let's go. Good morning. This is Dr. Matthew Dunn, host of the future of email marketing. And my guest for a great conversation today is Naresh Vissa, uh, founder, CEO of Chris Media and Marketing and a super experienced marketer, as well as a multiple time bestselling author. Naresh, such a pleasure to have you aboard and to connect with you. Welcome. Thanks so much, Matthew. And I'm looking forward to talking about one of my favorite topics, which is email marketing. Because why, why is it your favorite? Because without email marketing, marketing is, I don't want to say impossible, but it is a lot tougher. Email yeah. marketing makes marketing easier. And it you've heard of the 80-20 rule. I'm sure many of your listeners have. 80% of your business comes, comes from 20% of your clients. Uh-huh. You'll be able to find out who those 20% are through email marketing. It's oh, a good wow, filter. That's, that's good. Yeah, it, it's, it's a very good filter. And um, it is it is still king. It People thought in 2015 or so, oh, you know, email's dead. People aren't using email anymore. Mm-hmm. No, email, there are other ways to market. Don't get me wrong. There's yeah. still 20%, right? Uh, 20% of, of marketing can be done in other ways. And you can tap into those ways. But email marketing is is still king. It saves so much money. It's the way to go. It's also one of the, if not the only digital channel that doesn't have someone in the way saying, pay me. Yes. It's a big well, deal. well that, that, that's the point of email marketing. It's you own yeah. your email list. The yeah. email list is the most important asset a marketer can build, whether you're a restaurant or a, a brick and mortar business or you're a, a corporation, mm-hmm. the email list is something that you own. Now, it's an actual if asset. MailChimp or iContact, if they shut down, if they your list disappears, and unfortunately, you don't own it anymore. But for the most part, you own it. And there are entire businesses built around that email list, selling yeah. that email list, marketing to that email list. When I say selling it, I mean, I mean we, I've, I've helped sell multiple businesses largely because of that email list. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great way to frame the value of it. I mean, one of the conundrums of, uh, one of the conundrums of email and where it fits in the digital marketing space, one of the things that got me interested to have, have these conversations about the future of it. It's like email's been around a long time. It looks, it doesn't look as, as sizzly and, and high tech, although there's an astonishing technology stack making it all work as the flavor of the month apps or messaging channels or whatever else, but it's the one that's an asset. The list is an asset. The relationship you can build is, is an asset and not, it's not someone else's assets to your point. That's from your 50 shades of marketing book, correct? Right. So I'm the author. 
Yep, I'm the author of the book, 50 Shades of Marketing, Whip Your Business into Shape and Dominate Your Competition. In chapter two of my book, I tried to order my chapters based on importance. Yeah. So chapter one is all about direct marketing and the concept of what is direct marketing, which I think is the most important concept you can learn in marketing. But then you tie that into email. Chapter two is called Why the Email List is the Most Important Asset a Marketer Can Build. And direct mm -hmm. marketing ties into email because when you send out an email, now you're directly marketing to people. You have their information. They've already come in through some kind of funnel. So you have, their, their, you have the lead information. And email marketing is the fastest, cheapest, and easiest way to engage with your audience. Um, it's like, like you brought up earlier, there's no middleman who you're paying a ton of money to. You might have to pay a couple of hundred dollars. If you have a huge, huge yeah, email yeah, list, huge we're talking a hundred thousand plus, or maybe even 50,000 plus, but it's worth it to pay that hundred dollars, $150 a month to manage that list because you'll be able to monetize that. List. That's a lot of followers who you've built up. If you have 50,000 people. That's a lot. Right. Yeah, that's a big, that's a that's a big list. Now you 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 spent some time. I, I, I read your I read your bio uh, on LinkedIn. Whoa, um, among other places, Stansberry and Associates uh, slash Agora Financial, and I happened to know a little bit about it. And I went, wow, those guys play at a big scale, really big scale. That's where I learned it all. That, yeah. When yeah. I say learn it all, I mean my first job was as a 16 year old, as soon as I could drive uh -huh. working at a marketing company. And that's where I was introduced to marketing, not online and digital, but just marketing in general. Yeah. And the, the biggest takeaway that I got there was how to prospect. So how to find people's information, how to find people at companies or just people on the internet who we needed to target, who we needed to sell to and finding their information, their name, their first name, last name, phone number, email address, where they work, their website. That was such an important skill to learn because you'll be surprised. Most people don't even know how to do that, how to find somebody to contact. Right. And um, so that was as a 16 year old, I, I got that experience. Wow. And, and you fast forward when I was uh, right out of graduate school, Actually, while I was still in graduate school, Stansberry hired me as an independent contractor for a side project, which turned into a division for the company. And I graduated from graduate school, moved to Baltimore, where they're headquartered, Aguara Publishing and Stansberry, and took over that division and grew it. And that's where I learned. Uh, I took what I learned when I was 16 and I expanded on it and learned yeah. all about email marketing because email marketing. Uh, at least back then, to, this was 2011, 2012, 2013. Mm -hmm. Email marketing was was king. Uh, yeah. it, it was king, and it still is king for them. Ah. So I I got to learn the ins and outs of the business, uh, not just financial publishing, but of online and digital marketing, e-commerce, uh, just online and digital in general, technology. That's where I was able to to learn because schools don't teach. I, I, I had just going to ask you. Yeah, I had just graduated with a, a graduate business degree from Duke. From one of the business, of yeah, yeah, from one of the best business schools in in the world. Yeah, and you didn't learn any of this stuff because they didn't know the professors got their marketing PhDs pre-internet. Yeah, and yeah. Um, and so when you when your research is heavily based on pre-internet ideas, <laughs> you're gonna miss out on a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that was one of the the inspirations to write my book, 50 shades of marketing. It is yeah. uh, nowadays in leading business schools, you have all these well-known marketing professors 
who got their degrees pre-internet. Well, Fifty Shades of Marketing talks about principles, strategies, techniques, resources that you need to be a good marketer in the age of the internet. Yeah. And the pandemic uh, comes in. My prediction in the book was that the next recession that would come in, the book came out in 2015. Okay. My prediction was the next recession that would come would force people to work from home, would force companies to hire more independent contractors, yeah. uh, outsource overseas, would force uh, businesses to digitize and to go online and digital. And, What's all, that, <laughs> and all that happened due uh, pandemic or not, I think it was bound to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's accelerated perhaps. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, it's been it's been quite something to watch um in the last in the last year sort of everyone jumping jumping way ahead and and for those of us who I mean I've been telecommuting in one way shape or form for 20 years so I was like, yeah, welcome to my world guys, but it's a big adjustment. And we're not going sure. back. So I'm I'm also the host of a podcast called The Work From Home Show. That's Work yeah. From Home. Oh, are show. you really? Um, yeah. Yep. And, and we, we got started as soon as the first lockdown happened in mm -hmm. mid-March of 2020. Uh, my one, one of our directors at Krish Media and Marketing, the company that I run, uh, he handles our web stuff and, and our podcasts, uh, a lot of our podcast editing and production. I said, look, we got to come out with this podcast because this pandemic, yeah. it's not going away. Yeah. And and it's it's going to be here for many years to come, and work from home is going to become a thing. Not permanent, not a hundred percent work from home. Yeah, I was going to ask you. Gonna, what you we're going to see a huge, huge segment of the worldwide population shift from office to work from home. And uh, I, I I still do think the office has its place, not because people are more productive in the office, because they're not. I think the office has its place because large corporations. Um, they have cultures that may, that they they need to keep. They as as sad as it sounds. Look, I worked in corporate. I worked for a large Wall Street bank. I worked for, like I said, Stansberry Agora, which is more progressive, but it's still considered a corporate uh, environment. And uh, the corporations they like to control their people. They like mm -hmm. to control their employees. There is no, uh, there's not much autonomy. Um, they want their people, especially if you don't work in in tech or in IT, um, they want their people in the office so they can see what they're doing. They want to control essentially their lives. Um, and, and so that's not going to change. Um, the pandemic has, has disrupted that for two years. But um, I think you're going to see the large corporations tell their workers, hey, you know what, you got to come back into the office, hmm. especially if they own the real estate. They're going to say, you got, you got to come back in. So, and if they if they don't, uh, that's an interesting thesis. And I would I would I'm just seizing on it. If they if they don't, if it's you know if it's work from work from home some part of the time, it's going to be keystroke loggers, monitors. Like ju just you can get, you can have just as much sense of what someone's getting done, whether they happen to be sitting. It's a waste uh, of time to me. I mean, it's a waste of time and energy. If you're going to micromanage your employees like that and get key loggers yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and see, uh, track more. their time, it's what's the point, you know, yeah. like the, the, the goal is to get the job done and to produce results. And whether yeah. you do it in the middle of the night, whether you're working one hour a day yeah. or 10 hours a day, the goal is to, is to get the work done. And, yeah. um, the work essentially becomes managing 
other people and what they're doing on their computer. And what kind of job is that? I mean, that's a job that needs to be gotten rid of. So the, the, uh, initially um, I was very bullish. I was like, you know, this, you? this work from home is going to become permanent. But now that I'm, I'm seeing, I'm learning that the, the office, the companies are, you know, they're, I think the government has become big brother. The medical industry has become big brother and corporations, big tech, I think have become big brother to, as well. And so uh, I, I don't think work from home is going to become corporate is going to become a, uh, or ubiquitous, ubiquitous exercise. Yeah, I'm just, I'm I'm curious because, uh, and I don't disagree with you, by the way. But when you put on your CEO, you know, running running a company hat, yep. and you're trying to figure out how to make the business go and make the business effective, and you know, keep employees effective at what they do, is like, do, do you find yourself looking at it through a different different lens when you're making those decisions than than the sort of not theoretical, but the author's view of it, if you will. Well, common sense tells you work from home so we can stop paying all this money in, in leases and, yeah. and rents. Yeah. So that's why I say the the small businesses, I think they will let their people work from home because it's a smaller group. It's more intimate. You don't get lost in the shuffle. I've worked at these large corporations where you, you're literally another number. And yeah. there are times when you, you just you don't even show up to work and people won't notice. Um, so <laughs> yeah. I, I've worked at companies like that. And, and so those are the companies that are going to ask their, their people to come back into the office. Hmm. Um, and, and I do think they're also the companies where eventually they do find out if you don't show up to work, they do hmm. find out. And even if you get your work done at home, it becomes an issue because, there's so little work to be done at these huge, large companies, and you don't have space to operate because they're so big. I mean, you have no voice, you have no autonomy or independence. And so your manager, essentially, and we talk about this on the Work From Home show, that your manager becomes so bored that they want to manage you. They want to control you. They want mm. to control your life. And look, mm. that's why I went out, started my own business, did my own thing. I was going to ask because. I am not, uh, I'm not very good with other people or other things controlling me or my schedule or my life. I'm, mm. I'm not. And look, there are many people who thrive. I have family members who cannot operate without being controlled, without yeah. being fed, uh, you know, turning on the, the this, news and this, being fed, uh, you know, anything they, they need to believe anything that they're told and they need to be told what to do. And most people, quite frankly, are, are actually like that. Um, I'm, I'm just not for whatever yeah, reason. That's, and that's, I mean, that's, that's, an, that's part of, that's part of the foundation I'd expect from a, from an entrepreneur that, that, that sort of, look, I need to, I need to do this my way, my own pace. You know, the, the worst thing in the world is to, is to get told slow down, right. Or, or, or do it this way when you know this way is not necessarily effective. Let me, let me throw a different one at you and just get your reaction to it though. Um, there's a book I ran across seriously, I think 20 years ago, uh, The Social Life of Information, Paul Duguid and John Seeley Brown, um, written before Facebook existed. And it was pretty fascinating because they they delved in and did hard, hard research to, to back a surprise thesis that socializing is perhaps the most effective way that we share, build, learn from from each other and with each other. And I find myself thinking that there's going to be companies that say, we need some time where you're as live and connected with each other as possible, 
not for the purpose of 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 control structure, but to enable the the riff and the collaboration that's that's can be harder when you're mediated, when you're physically separated. Any thoughts about that? Yeah, so there are two different thoughts here. And and I've look, I remember working on team projects, group projects, and you have that riff and uh, the end result is ends up being really good. And what I learned in that experience is you don't need, because it can cause a lot of drama, it can cause a lot of problems, because at mm-hmm. the end of the day, you are butting heads with, with people mm-hmm. in order to reach an overarching goal. What I learned is, um, as a hiring manager, you should hire good quality talent. And that way, people trust each other and their abilities. Mm-hmm. So if you're working on a project, I'm actually the type of guy who... Uh, we'll go ahead, run with the project. I don't need help with it. If I need help with it, I'll hire my own people. And then I'll hand it off to somebody, you know, a team member and say, hey, here's what we have. You take it from here. And they tweak it and they mess with it and they play with it and they improve it and they make it better. Mm-hmm. And there is no riffraff uh, butting heads uh, in that case. It's like, okay, the final product's a final product. You know, it's gone through many eyes, different sets of people. And this is a way that it's been done. Uh, I feel like that's a much better process than putting five people in a room together and having them. Uh, it's called a war room. They call it a war room. That, that's yeah. what companies yeah. call it because it does become a war room. Right. And then it's it's kind of like a relationship. Like once once you just give up, you just shut your mouth and you just don't <laughs> even care. <laughs> you stop talking and and that's where things can can get sour and go bad. So the way my company is set up is I let people do what they what they do best. I don't ask my designers to be copywriters. I don't ask my copywriters to be web developers. I don't ask my web developers to do SEO. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you let people do what they do best and you trust that they're going to do a good job. And that's for anything. I also run a startup real estate investment firm. And I'm not, I only start butting heads when stuff isn't getting done and when I have to micromanage. The goal of an entrepreneur, of a business owner, is to start something that generates cash flow so you can make money, so you have freedom to do whatever the heck you want. And mm. one thing I didn't mention is I'm a stay-at-home dad. My son's sleeping right now in, wow. in, in the room. He's he's a year and a half. Um, and I'm, I'm able to do this because I don't have to go into the office. I don't yeah. have to go in somewhere where someone's overlooking my shoulder. Yeah. And, and look, I have some help. Uh, my wife's off every other week. Uh, we have a nanny who comes in five to 10 hours a week. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've got some, I mean, you, you have to, I mean, you need, and it's also good for you to, to bring in again, that, that outside third party who's going to do things that you're not good at, who's going to tweak things here and there. Mm-hmm. But going back to the, the idea of collaboration, I wouldn't have this much amount of freedom and autonomy and the ability to take care of my son, you know, 21, 22 hours a day if I didn't have this mindset, if I was on Zoom calls, just arguing all day with my clients and with uh, the people who work at, at Krish Capital and Krish Media and Marketing, I'd, I wouldn't get anything done of value. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. Wow. That's uh, it's a, you make a good, you make a good, good case for it. I, I don't think it's everybody. And I think you said the same thing, you know, like you've, you've got friends, relatives who prefer or thrive under structure um, under, you know, this, this is what's next. Cause it's, it, it, it takes drive and it takes some energy 
to go ahead and do the next thing when it's not dictated, right? You kind of kind of figure it out yourself or make it up or see the opportunity or and say, okay, that's worth extra time. I'll go for it versus here's the form, fill in the next you know, three pages of the form. Um, yeah. Entrepreneurs don't like filling in forms, I suspect. Huh. Um, let's uh let's let's dot this back to email just for just because. Um we got more people working from home. We got a, a more an even more digital and mediated existence, right? We we we're now putting our home life and our work life in our own spaces more and more, communicating with each other, working with each other more via digital channels, whether it's you know live live uh, video conference like this, or email, or text, or apps, or fill in the blanks like the infinite number of uh, digital tools we've got to work with. Um, I, I think there was a point in time where email was sort of getting poo-pooed because it was uh, be- because it wasn't this, the flavor of the month, if nothing else, and because it's been around for so long. But I know email volumes have gone up since the pandemic hit, and I suspect that's going to continue to be true, that, that that's still going to be like the home address, the reliable channel, the one way you know you can get to people. Comments or thoughts? Look, email, text message it is not a replacement for email. Text message is more direct. The problem with text message is uh, it, it's harder to um, to go back and check the text message. They're more real time. Whereas emails, you can hit unread, go back, check out the emails yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and respond to them. And also you're, you're in front of a computer a lot of the time um, responding to emails. I mean, you could be on your phone, but you could always go back. Text messages, they come in, you read it, and then they they essentially go away. Uh, yeah. You you move on with life. You forget about it. So email marketing is still, I think, uh, the key. It's not the secret sauce 100%, but uh, like I said, 80%, I think, is going to come through email marketing. And there's nothing wrong with sending out email messages, more and more messages. Just grow that email list. Because when you grow that email list, you are capturing your traffic. People mm-hmm. who are interested in who you are, what you do, and you can then monetize through, uh, through advertising, or you can just build up an email list, mm-hmm. and it can be valued because an email list is tangible and quantifiable. It yeah. is essentially a digital, physical asset. That yeah. that's what it is. You yeah. own it. So the ROI on your email list is higher than any social media. And I talk about this in my book, Fifty Shades of Marketing. I say, look. Facebook can filter statuses. This was in 2015. It can filter yeah. statuses at any day, moment. They can just go ahead and say, hey, you know what? We don't like you. We're just going to shut down your Facebook page. Yeah. Facebook can yeah. do that. Yeah. And guess what happened in 2020, 2021? That's exactly what they did. <laughs> yeah. If you, if, if Facebook did not agree with your political views, if they did not agree with what you may have said, uh, you got deleted. And and there are people like former President Trump who had hundreds of millions yeah. of social media followers that he built up and they were deleted with just a stroke of a button, yeah. just completely gone, deleted. Yep. That's hundreds of millions of dollars in, in yeah. money and revenue that yeah. he could have monetized, not that he... Would, but let's say donations, you know, whatever that's uh, th- th- gone. And as, think about that as a business owner, 
if mm. that happened to you. And I, we work with clients who that happened to because we work a lot in the podcasting space and many of our clients may have said something political on their podcast. I mean, it's a, it's essentially talk radio. Like there's nothing wrong with saying something political. Well, they said something political, mm -hmm. boom, flagged by YouTube, flagged by Facebook, suspended by Twitter. It's, it, it's really ridiculous, but that's another story. Um, but with that being said, your mailing list, it's harder to get flagged uh, because uh, to my knowledge, the ESP companies, they have not taken a political stance. And if you want to send out a note, send out a note. Just don't don't be too scammy. Don't be too spammy. You're on you're on uh, you're on some you're on some rich ground here. Let me throw a couple things at you that fit, fit right into this discussion. Um I was I was involved in a conversation uh, a, a couple months ago, I think, on the uh, only influencers list, which is uh, email marketers group, and we were batting around an announcement that came out of Mailchimp um, about their terms of service, and I want to say this is three months ago, give or take. And Mailchimp went to the trouble of announcing a addition to their terms of service that said essentially we reserve the right to turn off your send if we disagree with the content. They they put a they they put a foot in a private business, it's in their control. Yep. But they put Absolutely. a foot over into that domain uh, of of saying we don't agree to be a common carrier and let anything go. We like the examples you gave of Facebook and Twitter, we reserve the right to say we don't think that's okay, no more send. Comments? Look, they're private businesses. They can do whatever they want. As a business owner like you and me, the way that you work around this, MailChimp sends out a note like that. The first thing I would do is download that email list, mm -hmm. export it into a spreadsheet, mm -hmm. and continue with MailChimp. Continue to do what I'm doing. And if they ban me or if they flag me, it's time to go to an alternative. And there are right. many, many alternatives out there. Unfortunately, yeah. there are not that many alternatives when it comes to Twitter or Facebook or yeah, Google, yeah, yeah. Uh, they have monopolies in their industry. Yeah, they, yeah. I mean, it, it, it really is a monopoly because uh, Twitter is a very different platform than Facebook, which is yeah. a very different platform than YouTube, which is very different from a Google search engine. So they do have the money. Now it's just, Oh, Google it, Google it, you know? Yeah. Well, if Google does something to the search results, you're stuck. You don't They're exist. all alternatives, but yeah. nobody uses them. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 your point. I think we're in, I think we're in agreement here. In the world of email, which is and it's it's a bit distinctive about email. Yeah. It's it, it's relatively easy to say I'll take my email. I'll get my email activity done a different way. Right. Like if. Business X says, we don't want to send those kind of messages on your behalf. You say, no problem. We'll go find someone else. Um, there are hundreds of email platforms, hundreds, and none of them own the channel. Here's, here's, here's a concern I've got in the email space specifically. And sometimes I feel like the, like, like, like the, like the curmudgeon on this one. Uh, Google has acquired considerable market share in the inbox with Gmail and G Suite. Um, and it's a terrific email client. I use a Google, I use uh, G Suite because I think it's a terrific email client. They're pushing a, an interactive email technical standard called AMP for email. And I'm bothered by the email marketing community saying this is a good thing. Like they already ran off with the web, basically, which used to be 
kind of free range. And I don't want to see the same thing happen to email. Because if Google said message X can't get through to your Gmail inbox, you don't actually have a choice to pick up your Gmail accounts and mail them a different way. Yeah. Yeah. Don't like proprietary standards. Maybe I'm old fashioned. I don't know. (laughs) I I love the free range thing and the ownership thing, right? You got to earn that relationship with your email list. I'm in control of saying, I don't want to hear from you anymore. Um, So it really becomes a relationship asset that, as you pointed out, is a a big business asset as well. Um, And I'm hard pressed to think of other digital channels where that's still true. Yeah, well, look, it's it's uh, it's very complicated because now big tech and the uh, the corporations, the companies are getting involved politically. And and, and the problem I have is if I'm talking to you right now on Zoom, okay, Mm -hmm. and if I say something that um, Zoom doesn't like, yeah, they could jump in to our conversation and say, hey, this conversation's over, right? Right. Uh, you're not allowed to post it, uh, Matthew. You're not allowed to post this on YouTube or whatever, and the recording is going to be deleted. Mm-hmm. Th- they could easily do that, but uh, they don't, right? For now. <laughs> for now, for now. And and look, there are certain things that I, if 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 you're going to, if you're plotting something illegal, if you're um, if, if you're if we're having a meeting about masterminding something bad mm-hmm. it makes sense right but if you're going to post an article to the new york post which happened to me i posted an article from the new york post and facebook put me in facebook timeout because they said this is a violation violation of privacy really because wow. you posted it and the article was it covered um you know it published like a neighborhood the name of a neighborhood mm-hmm. and Look, I, to be quite frank, I didn't even read the entire. I read like the first two paragraphs, maybe. Right. And and that's what I'm saying. Where they're picking and targeting um, certain viewpoints, certain political views, uh, and and trying to cancel them, try, trying to delete them. And hmm. it's as I mentioned, the private businesses they can do whatever they want, but you as a business, look, just stick to this rule. Stay out of politics. Hmm. Uh, now. Then the question is, well, what if you are, what if that is your business? So like yeah. Stansbury Agora, yeah. they use politics to market and promote their products. Yep. So then what do you do? You're just going to have to see what, well, you, they created their own server. So they don't use MailChimp. Or they say, screw that. This was years and years ago. They said, yeah. screw this. We're just going to create our own email yeah. service provider. Yeah. We're going to create our, our own systems and we're going to run with it. Oh, interesting. Interesting. And yeah. be- because because you're operating on a set of defined open standards, you're actually free to do that. Yes. Not a cheap investment, but you're free to do that. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Where you can't say, I'm going to make my own Twitter. Correct. I mean, I could make a client where you and I could send short messages to each other, but it'd be a short conversation because it's just the two of us. And it wouldn't be that sort of quasi-public sphere that Twitter managed to make themselves into over years. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah. We're, we're going to have to ask some profound questions about, uh, it, about the, 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 public, the public square, the public forum, um, common carriage, and the responsibility of, of 
you know, the, this century's early monopolies. And you've mentioned a number of them. Um, I suspect we'll, I suspect we'll end up dragging Amazon into that conversation as well because of their, their dominance of some kinds of, uh, of commerce and certainly their their footprint uh, in the infrastructure in the in the cloud infrastructure, you know, AWS runs a lot of stuff, and this is new territory for us, right? Private businesses gaining this degree of influence, we haven't we haven't grappled with recently. Standard Oil, you know, a hundred years ago is probably the closest example. Yeah. Um, and we dealt with that the way we dealt with it then. How are we going to deal with these? I don't know. And as one of the reasons that I'm continuing to be intrigued by emails, it's got it's this funny outlier. It's like, yeah, we're we're just going to keep going our own way. It's kind of anybody can drive on the road version of digital that doesn't that hasn't gotten dominated. It hasn't gotten owned by one one company. Um, it's hard to censor email because anybody can jump over and make their own servers. Stansberry did. Yep. Huh. Huh. Interesting. Um, where do you see SEO? Because I know you've got considerable expertise in that. You know, search engine optimization and and that getting found on what used to be the free range of the web and email, like very different dynamics. But you have to grapple with both as a business owner. Yeah. Well, look in in the case of of search engine optimization, uh, there are many many things you can do to improve your SEO without hiring an SEO team or an SEO expert. And so what I'm saying, look, SEO can be very, very costly. We're talking thousands of dollars uh, per month, uh, thousands upon thousands of dollars, in some cases, tens of thousands of dollars per month. I like organic uh, SEO. So we we offer a service at Christian Media and Marketing called Online PR. And Online PR is focusing on online media, getting you Mm -hmm. publicity through online media, whether it's through podcasts like this, Mm -hmm. uh, video interviews, um, print, online print media. So we run campaigns and we get people online PR and that improves our SEO greatly. Getting uh, those hit because you have other people doing the SEO free of charge for you. So like, for example, I see. What you're going to be doing is you're going to be writing some show notes. You're going to write my name. You're going to link back to my website. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 you probably have a lot of authority. You meaning your website where this is going to go on is going to have a lot of authorities. So that's doing SEO for us. So people type in my yeah. name or my company's yeah. name and they'll be able to see all the, the good stuff that comes out. Right. So um, I, I highly recommend that before moving into the more expensive SEO because look, it, it can get tricky and uh, it's a contract <laughs> type of position. It's a black art is what it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, if, you, if, if any of your listeners have questions, check out our website, Krish Media and Marketing. That's K-R-I-S-H, Media Marketing. Krish Media Marketing. Krish Media Marketing. There's no animate in Krish Media and am I hearing you correctly in, in, in you sort of stated a thesis there that said um, the quality content is one of your best SEO tactics. Yep, absolutely. And if you can get other people to write that content for you, <laughs> even, even better. better. Yeah, yeah, even, even better. better. Even, even better. That's uh, that's good advice. And I think, I think it's true of email as well, honestly. Like quality content keeps people in your list spamming them to death with not you know with meaningless drivel they'll unsubscribe and go away like i said earlier you've got to earn that asset and keep earning that asset in the long run yep absolutely absolutely yeah. 
We should probably wrap because you're a stay-at-home dad and a busy guy with a couple of companies to run. But any parting advice, especially for someone listening who's saying, I'm trying to be more effective with my email marketing, what would you tell them to do? Take email marketing seriously. It's something you need to do. So I, I highly, highly recommend that you do it. Check out, I want to offer my book, 50 Shades of Marketing, Whip Your Business Into Shape and Dominate Your Competition. I want to, free of charge, go to my website, narashfisa.com, get on my mailing list and contact me through the site. And I will send you a free copy of 50 Shades of Marketing. And if there's one chapter you're going to read or listen to, if I send you the audiobook, uh-huh. it's chapter two, why the email list is the most important asset a marketer can build. That has everything you need to know about email marketing. So oh, terrific. Uh, take it seriously. Build that email list. I will. Uh, I will make sure we put a, a, a hyperlink on this uh, on this episode when it goes up on the site as well. Well, pleasant and wide ranging conversation. It's 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 always a privilege to learn from someone with with this kind of you know experience. And you're right in the middle of it now. You know running your, your companies as well. So you're not just talking th- theory from 20 years ago either. Um, and uh, and I want to thank you for the time as well. I thank you. We thank just you pinged so you on much. LinkedIn. So we'll wrap up. My guest once again was Naresh Visa, Krish Media and Marketing, Krish Investing as well, I think you said, yes? Krish Capital, yeah. Krish Capital. And then yeah. uh, search under Naresh Visa on, um, I suspect on Amazon for the two books. Do you thinking about ne- another book maybe? Absolutely. Already working on. Already the next working on. Of books. Wow. Yeah. I'll look forward to it. I've got. To, I've got. To, I've got to get these two. Thanks so much for the time, Naresh, and we'll uh, we'll get this whipped into shape and get the video back in your hands as soon as we can. All right. Thank you so much. Have a good one. All right. You as well. Hi, Dr. Matthew Dunn here. Thank you so much for listening to the future of email. If you're an email industry exec or marketer and you're interested in being a guest, please apply at campaigngenius.io slash future of email. If this interview was useful for you, please consider sharing it. Grab a screenshot and post it and text it. And of course, email it to your friends. If you know someone who you think would be a good guest, tag them in your post and include the hashtag future of email. I really appreciate seeing guest suggestions. It helps us a ton to keep the show interesting. We do put out new episodes and new content fairly regularly. To keep up, I would suggest subscribing. Your sharing, your rating, your reviews are the key to promoting to the show, and they mean a ton to me and to the team here. If you want to know more, go to our website, campaigngenius.io slash future of email, or follow me on LinkedIn. Search for Dr. Matthew Dunn. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.